Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. I'm Karen Larson. I was a member of Trinity Baptist Church from about the spring of 1966 through the fall of 1968. But it was an interesting time in my life. I had just been transferred to New York City by my company, which is headquartered in Los Angeles. And I was about to begin a satisfying and very challenging and lengthy career in the investment management business. I had grown up in a small, dear Baptist General Conference church in Minneapolis. So I sought out a converged church in Manhattan, and at that time, Trinity was a pretty small, rather struggling congregation, but it had a nice concentration of young professionals, young professional people and career-oriented people. I met Louisa at choir practice. We are still friends. And from time to time, we talk about all those dear people. We reminisce about the Estonian couple, Edsel, and his lovely wife, Marta, Peter and Renata, Jim and Gisela, and then it was David and his charming French girlfriend, who ultimately became his wife, and there are a few others. But these people became my family because I had no family in New York. I give you this list of people really for a couple of reasons. To show you that the, there was extreme cultural diversity in that small church. And then also to demonstrate by the fact that I remember all these people after all these years. And Louisa and I talked about them. They had a huge impact on us at that time. There were several of us young professional women in the church who found that Trinity Baptist was our home. These dear people would want you to know that New York City is a very diverse, very diverse place, rich with talented folks, but also abundant with younger types who are finding their place. Gather them and support them. They will cherish you and you will shape their lives from that day on and have a big impact on their faith. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as, o- as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, the result, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well done, Elizabeth. When I was in college, I was uh, a liberal arts major, uh, specifically an English major. And one of the requirements of us liberal artists was that we take four semesters of a foreign language. I don't know why they made us do that, but they did. And not being particularly inclined toward languages, uh, I really struggled with this, but I chose French. And this was, uh, you know, because it wasn't something that I loved, I put it off and I put it off and I put it off until the spring semester of my senior year in college. Can you remember your last semester as a senior undergrad? No, Julian can't remember it at all. Um, That's not what I'm talking about. As you know, as a graduating senior, you're like, school is way down on the priority list. It was spring, and I had softball teams to play on, and and pools to lay beside, and, and golf courses to conquer, and... I was engaged to my beautiful fiance, Deanne. And so the last thing, the very last thing I wanted to do was school. And the last piece of school that I wanted to do was French. But if I was going to graduate and get my degree, I had to pass this French class. And so three days a week after French class... I would meet with a friend of mine who was almost fluent in the language and she would help me parse verbs and memorize vocabulary all for one reason and one reason only to pass French and get my degree. Now, can you imagine how, how my spring semester would have been different had the registrar come to me and promised, Hey, Keith, Um, we want you to study French and pass that final exam, but don't worry about it because your paperwork's already done and you're going to graduate no matter how you do in French. How do you think I would have spent my time? I would have played a lot more softball. I would have gotten a great tan. I would have lowered my handicap and I would have spent a lot more time with Deanne. That is the theological dilemma that Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6 and 7. If we are saved by grace, why be good? If I'm already going to get my degree, why study French? Now, if you're visiting with us or you've come back um, after being here for Easter and, and you're not, you haven't been tracking with us through this series in Romans, let me just kind of catch you up as to where we are so that you can, you can see how these two chapters fit in the grand scheme of Paul's argument. See, what Paul started in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, is he laid the foundation and he said that, that salvation is a righteousness that comes from God and is received by faith. And it's available to all who believe. But it's not a works-based righteousness because you can't earn it. It is a faith-based righteousness where God declares you righteous. 
And then in chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, he talks about, makes, I think, a very convincing argument for how none of us can earn righteousness. And if you were here through those weeks as we talked about that, we, we talked about the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Yes? Nobody in here would stand up and say, I have lived a perfect life. But see, that's what the righteousness of God requires, perfection. And so he makes the case that because none of us are perfect, because there is no one righteous, no, not one, then we are all condemned to the wrath of God. And then he comes to chapter 3, verse 21, and he starts that verse with two very important words. Remember what those words are? But now, thank you, Janiel. But now, these awesome words, this is who we were, this is what we were condemned to because of our sin. But now, because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. By putting our faith in him, by his grace, he saves us. Not because we are righteous, but because Jesus is righteous. And as Paul said to the Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He declares us righteous. And then in chapter 4, he talks about the fact that he credits righteousness to our account. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He credited it to us through Jesus. And then in chapter 5, he talks about the fact that not only have we been rescued from sin, but we've been rescued from sin to reign over sin. That's chapters 1 through 5 of Romans in a nutshell. But then after talking about this grace that God has lavished on us, he comes to to chapter 6 and he says, essentially, so if we've got all this grace... Why be good? If it doesn't matter what you do, why be good? If I'm already going to get my French or my, my, my degree, why study French? See, that's the dilemma that Paul addresses. He says at the beginning of chapter 6, Well then, should we keep on sinning? so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Answer, of course not. Or as the Brooklyn translation says, forget about it. Why not? Because just as Jesus died to sin, when we identify with him, we also die to sin. Sin has no more mastery over us we celebrated this last last week with easter that jesus went into the grave because he took on the penalty of sin for us and he died and when we identify with him we die too to that penalty but then just as jesus resurrected from the grave when we identify with him we identify with his resurrected life And that's what we celebrated in baptism. That's why we baptized 17 people last week. People who said, I want my identity to be with Jesus, who died to sin for my sin. And I want to live in that newness of life. Paul goes on in in 
verse 15 of chapter 6, he, he poses essentially the same question. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Answer, of course not. Why not? Because we're not slaves to sin anymore. We have been freed from that. And then Paul uses this illustration of slavery that Elizabeth read some of to us. The point in chapter 6 is that the gospel does not lead us into immorality, but it leads us to the opposite. Because in saving us from sin, God has joined us to Christ Jesus. And as a result, those of us who have been saved will want to live for him. Now, that's just my introduction, all right? So now we're going to get into the sermon. That's just kind of catching us up. What Paul does in chapter 7 is, after using these two illustrations in chapter 6 of death and of slavery, he knows both of those analogies break down, and so he takes us to another analogy in chapter 7. And he answers this question, where this, he made this monumental statement in verse 14 that a Christian does not obey God because he's under law, but he or she obeys God because he's under grace. She's under grace. We don't obey because we have to. We obey because we, we understand what God did for us. We understand the grace that he has lavished upon us. And because we get that, because we understand his love for us, we want to love him back. See, one of the uh, pieces of our, our mission statement says that, well, our mission statement says that we are an international multi-generational community dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ who are growing in faith, obedience, and joy. You see, when, when you grow in your faith, when you grow in your understanding of who God is and that what he says is true, then your heart turns toward him more and more and you want to serve him. You want to love him. You want to be obedient to him. Not because you have to, but because you love him. And when you live that way, then your joy increases. And I'll tell you why in a minute. So let's look at chapter 7. This text is about obedience And Paul is going to answer the question posed by that well-known theologian, Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? (laughs) Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, and the Romans knew the law because law was originated by Rome. The Pax Romana. Romans would know about law. And so he says, speaking to those who know the law, um, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. Makes sense, right? You don't hang dead men. You don't put a dead person on trial. When you're dead, the law has no authority over you. You're free from that covenant of works, which is what the law is. In verses 2 and 3, he gives a specific example of how death frees us. Verse 2. For example, 
By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Now, next Saturday... I get to do the wedding of Jamie Spann and Brian Craig. And they will stand before me and I will ask them point blank, do you promise to honor and cherish and, and um, love and do each other's laundry um, <laughs> until death do you part? You see, that's, that's God's covenant in marriage. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so God's covenant of marriage, the, the law of marriage according to God, is that until your spouse dies, you are bound together. That's the law. In verse 4, Paul applies this to the Christian. So my brothers and sisters... You also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might, what, belong to another. And who is it that we get to belong to? To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Friends, this is key. And if you don't understand this, then in your Christian life, you're going to be obeying. You're going to be doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. And you will not experience joy. You will not experience satisfaction. You will not live in the abundant life that God has for you if you don't get this. You see, you and I are freed from the law through the body of Christ. When we were non-Christians, in essence, we were married to the law. The law was our first husband. We had no other way to God except through this legalistic observance uh, of rules. It was a covenant of works. The problem with that covenant was you had to be as good as God. Because if you broke the law at just one point, you were guilty of breaking the whole thing. And therefore, you would be condemned under the law. That was our first husband. We were married to this system, to this, this covenant that was burdensome and, and, and life-sucking. It was not life-giving. Our relationship with God was not because we loved him or understood him. Rather, we obeyed God to a degree because we were afraid of him. And we feared the consequences of breaking law. We had a fear of death. Because we knew, as Elizabeth read in the scripture, that the wages of sin is what? Death. You sin, you die. But Paul says that through the body of Christ, you and I are free from that. The body of Jesus Christ took the penalty of my, my violation. He took my death. He took my sin upon himself and, and God put him on the cross and he who knew no sin became sin. He bore our sin, Peter said, in his body on the tree. 
It was not a concept of Christ that redeemed us. It was the blood of Jesus that redeemed us. What does Hebrews say? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. The body of Christ freed us from the penalty of the law. So because of his death, we are no longer bound to our first husband, the law, but we are free. Free to do what? Free to belong to another. Free to be married again. Friends, if you remember only one thing from this message, remember this. Through the death of Jesus, we have been freed from the law. Now, that does not mean that we are free to sin. It means that we are free to be remarried, to belong to another. And our new husband is who? Him who was raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. We are free to be the bride of Jesus. That's awesome. If you look at the end of verse 4, you see the purpose of this freedom explicitly stated. In order that we might bear fruit to God. You see, the product of a life governed by grace is not license to do whatever we want. The product of a life governed by grace is love. It is, it is a God-honoring life. Shall we sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? Of course not. Why not? Because we are the bride of Christ, dearly loved. What's love got to do with it? Everything. We live a life honoring to God because we are responding to his love by loving him back. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that I have a maid. And she is bound to me by a covenant of law. There are rules that she has to to live by in order to work for me, all right? Um, Do my laundry, clean the bathroom, clean the floors, okay? So that's, that's the covenant of law. I come home one day and there's this big, huge pile of of laundry in the middle of the floor. And then I walk into the bathroom and now the laundry's clean, mind you, but it hasn't been folded and put away. I walk into the bathroom and the walls have all been scrubbed, but the tub has this terrible ring around it and the, the toilet is not too fresh, you know? And then I go and I see the floor and the tile has all been cleaned, but the rugs haven't been vacuumed. And so I call the maid and I say, you didn't do what I told you to do. She says, yes, I did. I said, no, you didn't. There's this huge pile of laundry on the floor and their tubs filthy and you didn't vacuum. She said, I did exactly what you told me to do. You said to do the laundry and I did the laundry. You said nothing about putting it away. You said to clean the bathroom, and I cleaned the bathroom. You said nothing about the tub or the toilet. You said clean the floors, and I mopped the tile and the hardwood, but you didn't say anything about the rugs on the floors. And I said, but don't you love me? 
She says, well, what's love got to do with it? I have kept the law pharisaically to the letter. Then my bride walks in. And my bride has totally different motivation. You see, my bride walks in and she walks into the bathroom and, and she sees that the, the tub's got some stuff going on there and she doesn't want my feet to get fungus because she loves me. And so she scrubs the tub. And she wants me to look as good as I possibly can. And she notices that I don't have any clean shirts. So not only does she wash them, but she neatly folds them and puts them in the drawer because she wants me to look sharp, which is difficult to do. Um, and she knows how sensitive my sinuses are to, you know, all those little dust particles. And so she lovingly vacuums the floor. Why? Because she has been illumined to the beauty and, and glory and wonderfulness of her husband. And she is responding to, to the sacrificial nature of my love toward her by loving me back and, and serving me in this way. Do you see the difference? Friends, when we are living under a, a, a code of law, we do things, but there's no joy. There's no motivation to, to serve. It's just I'm, I'm ticking the boxes. But when we live out of love, when we respond to the love that God has, has showered on us, when we respond to his grace in our lives, we want to honor him with our lives. We want to love him back. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. And that's what verse four means. Because of God's great love for us, demonstrated by him freeing us from the bondage of the law through the death of his son so that we might be joined with him. We now love him back with our obedience. See, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our faith, our understanding of who God is and what he has done and that what he says is true, when we grow in our faith, we also grow in our obedience. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And when we do that, it produces incredible joy in our life. We love God for what he has done for us, and that's why we serve him. We are alive to God. We are free. For morals, for uh, no. We are free from the external, lowly, ignorant system of obeying God out of fearful compliance. And if you don't understand that, if that hasn't reached your soul, then your life is going to be lived in drudgery and legalism and, and where you're slavishly keeping the rules. And you will not only not experience joy, but I dare say you will never lead anyone to Christ 
and your kids will grow up to be atheists because they will not see life in you. They will see a dogmatism that does not bring life. Are you with me? Okay. Verse 5. For when we were, that's what tense? Past tense. This is how we were with our first husband. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. Whenever you see a, a, a sign that says wet paint, what are you inclined to do? Touch it, right? Why do we do that? Because the law arouses passion in us. When you were a kid and you went to the pool and the lifeguard said, don't run, what did you do? Did you think, hmm, there must be a wisdom at work here that is higher than mine? No, you didn't do that. You went into that speed walk, you know? Because, because you wanted to maintain the letter of the law, but you wanted to push it. Why? Because the law arouses passions in us. That's our sinful nature. And that's what Paul talks about in verses 7 through 12 of this chapter. That the law itself is not sinful. What the law does is the law shows us that we are indeed sinful. That we are selfish, we are covetous, we are lustful. We did not love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we did not love our neighbor as ourselves. That's when we were controlled by the sinful nature. Verse 6, but now. Those two great words again. That's how we were with our first husband, but now. But now, in the present, married to Jesus, free from the law by the salvation that comes through Jesus, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. That penalty and that system that, that bound us is gone. For what purpose? So that we can sin? Forget about it. Of course not. So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, our obedience, our service, our God-honoring life arises from a heart of love. The, the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. What's love got to do with serving God? Everything. For the Christian, obedience has nothing to do with being good. That's law. Obedience has everything to do with being in love. That's grace. Which brings me back to where I began. Why learn French? Certainly there are some good reasons. Um, foreign languages expand your knowledge. They give you uh, another way to communicate. 
I'm sure there are other good reasons, but I can't think of them. But that never motivated me. The only thing that motivated me to, to study for all those hours, to, to learn that vocabulary and to conjugate those verbs and all that stuff, the only thing that motivated me was getting my degree. And I remember very little of the French that I crammed into my head for that one semester. And I think that's kind of Paul's point with regard to the law. The, the results of living a life according to the old written code are short-term at best. So what would change why I would want to study French? Well, I can think of only one compelling reason. And that is if my fiance, Deanne, spoke only French. See, if, if that was the only way I could communicate my love to the one I love, I would work, I would have learned the language overnight so that I could communicate avec mon chéri, avec mon petit chou. You, you know, I would have parsed verbs and, and, and conjugated words. I would have learned vocabulary. I would have figured out how to get all the words in the right order. Why? So that I could communicate more clearly my love to the one I love. Friends, that's what Paul's saying. We don't do what we do because God says do it. We do what we do to honor him and be obedient to him because we love him. Because he first loved us. Augustine said, Who can be good if not made so by loving. He went on to say, if you but love God, you may do as you incline. Meaning, a person who truly loves God will be inclined to please God. What's love got to do with obedience? Everything. If we truly grasped the wonder of God's love for us, the question that prompted Paul to write Romans 6 and 7, because of God's grace, what can I get away with? That question would never cross our mind. Rather, we would spend our days trying to fathom, not exploit, the amazing grace of God. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful for your grace. I'm so grateful for the cross. I'm so grateful for the empty tomb. I am so grateful for the love that you have poured out on me. And yet, Lord, I I don't grasp it. Just an iota of the magnitude of your love toward me. But Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to that and, and 
if there's a takeaway for us this morning, the, the takeaway is that we would, we would do all we can to put ourselves in your presence so that we might experience more and more deeply how great your love is for us. And as we sang earlier, I, I can't believe, I can't believe that you would do what you did on my behalf. And yet you did. Lord, I pray that you would help us to wrap our minds around that. And as we come to the table this morning, help us to see again in what we celebrate through your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. Help us to see again the magnitude of your love for us and let that well up in us so that we might live a life of love back toward you. Because our faith grows. Let our obedience grow. As our obedience grows, may our joy in life grow. Lord, we pray this for your name's sake. Amen.